Hello, welcome to Lambiforms Radio, the podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the songwriter in the band Lambiforms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. Today I am joined by composer, percussionist, and drummer Clara Warnar. If you've listened to episode 38 of this podcast, you might only know Warnar as the drummer for the instrumental trio Infinity Shred. But she is also an accomplished classical percussionist who makes a living performing with chamber ensembles. For the last two years, she has also curated a series of compilations called A New Age for New Age. As the name would suggest, this series aims to reinterpret the often maligned genre of New Age music by opening it up to musicians who have no prior experience working in that style. Volumes 3 and 4 of A New Age for New Age are coming out on April 9th. So to mark the occasion, I wanted to talk to Clara about the origins and goals of A New Age for New Age, as well as her experience working in both the metal and classical worlds. Before we get to the interview, however, I should mention that I also have an album coming out on April 9th. It's called You Can't Do This Alone. It's a remix album that features six tracks from friends and collaborators, and two quick ones from me. You can pre-order it on my Bandcamp, which is in the show notes. Now onto the interview. Thanks for listening. I guess I should start kind of from the top because I don't know a ton about your background. I know that you're, you know, I, my, I became aware of your work primarily as a drummer in Infinity Shred and then sort of quickly learned thereafter that you have a, you know, extensive background in classical music and classical percussion. But um, how did you first start playing music? Yeah, um, I started out, well, my parents were musicians, so it was, you know, kind of in the home. And I started playing the drums pretty much by mistake. I was eight. My brother's best friend was moving away and there was like an opening in the, you know, in the drum teaching slot. And like my brother was taking a lesson at the same time. And they kind of just, you know, joked around asking if I wanted to do it. And I was like, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. So started out when I was pretty young. Um, And it was just drums for a long time, which was really cool because it wasn't really formalized. Like even though my parents came from a classical background, I think they had enough insight to be like, oh, it's valuable for our kids to have lessons, just like learning stuff by ear and, you know, started out very mellow and fun. So that's how it all started. And then kind of like in middle school, I became aware of classical music and started playing in like youth orchestras, started playing timpani, percussion and I, I grew up around like the film music uh, scene. Like my, one of my first uh, percussion teachers was in that world. My dad was in that world. And so I, I was really enamored with that. You know, it was a very magical thing. And I, I thought it was, I knew it was really special to be able to witness that. So, um, so that's why I got into classical music in the first place was just mm-hmm. knowing if I ever wanted to do that, I'd have to get like a formal training. So I did that, got serious in high school, went to like a conservatory for college and got really serious. But then at that point, that's when I realized that I didn't necessarily want to go down the like orchestra path. So I still to this day do freelance work 
playing with various like contemporary music groups and um, doing film stuff and everything, but not necessarily like traditional classical world. So that's how all that happened. And then I got back into drums through Infinity Shred <laughs> like five, six years ago. And now that's a huge part of my life again. So when you say that you got serious in high school, what did, what did that mean? Was that like, uh, cause I, when I think of the, a lot, you know, most of the people that I interview come from more of like a rock background to begin with. And so getting serious in high school usually mean like playing shows and, you know, go, maybe going on tour if they're reckless enough or, you know, this sort of like diving really into, you know, making their own music and being in their own bands. So for you, what did getting serious look like? Yeah, uh, that's a cool question because I actually have like a lot of um, uh, remaining like jealousy of everyone <laughs> who had that, you know, whether it's like Damon and Nate and, you know, the band or um, or my own brother who plays with Anna Monaguchi, like he had that kind of high school experience, I think. But for me, I don't know. I was a little bit of like a serious introverted person, you know? So I, I guess I was pretty intimidated by that whole world. And since I was starting to feel connected to this classical thing and like loving orchestral music and percussion stuff, you know, I, I guess I held on to that, you know, and I just felt like, okay, let's, let's practice a lot. Let's get really, really good at this stuff. Um, yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed getting good at instruments, I guess. Like that was my, <laughs> my high school passion. And um, and learning about classical music. And so I did some, you know, some like summer camp things. And I actually ended up going to like a high school that was very, you know, specialized in this. And and by the end of high school, it was cool because I, I felt like I was really still in the serious mode of just wanting to do this at the highest level. And like, kind of the, the, a little bit like what I think of now as a grosser side of it, like doing competitions and, mm. you know, that super, super serious part of it. But at the same time, I had friends in like more creative fields and I started to get into like, oh, what if I wrote something? And, you know, it, it was like that whole world was becoming more illuminated to me. And, and I did start going to like my brother's shows and things like that. So that's where that like seed of maybe there's more than classical music was, mm -hmm. was planted. How did you find that you're, this is like maybe a very granular drummer kind of question, but that's fine. That's just who I am. So I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, how did you find that your technique going from taking drum kit lessons early on, did that like help you when you started taking the more serious percussion lessons or were there things that you had to unlearn? Like what was the conversion between those two styles? And then I would imagine that there's also a similar process going back to rock drumming again. Totally. Yeah. I actually thought you were going to ask that one first, but it's, it is interesting to go in order. I think that I, going into like the more seriously in the classical realm was more of a gradual thing where I just felt like I was already understanding rhythm and time and pulse and these things that were being taught in the drum lessons, you know, mm -hmm. but, um, but starting to actually be like, Oh, there's, you can, there's a quarter note and, you know, like understanding the actual structure behind it. So I didn't necessarily, I felt like everything I learned in drum lessons ended up serving the classical stuff. But it's more the other way around where like once I got serious about the percussion stuff, I felt like a lot of what you see in classical music education is like percussion and drums are separate, you know? And mm -hmm. so they kind of don't address drumming anymore a lot of the time. I mean, you have some really great educators who do continue to incorporate it, 
but I sort of felt like as soon as I got serious about percussion, drums were just not like a part of the picture. No, none of my teachers seemed to really, you know, care about that side of things. And like very few of my other percussion friends did. And so, so that was more just like a thing that sadly I let go of for a little bit, which is too bad because I think there are certain skills that I could have continued to develop, you know, improvising and like, just like a creativity and a comfort at the drum set that I could have been working on at the same time as the percussion stuff. But nevertheless, <laughs> I spent a lot of time on percussion and I learned a lot of very specific skills from that. And by the time I got back into drumming, what was really cool about it is that a lot of the really intuitive stuff from like being a kid was still there. You know, I felt like really comfortable, natural, just like fun. <laughs> but what I had in addition was this kind of like really like tactical brain about how to approach certain challenges, you know, mm -hmm. where all of a sudden I knew like exactly what I needed to do to be able to play something fast enough or to play a certain rhythm or like I had a whole lot of like, yeah, tricks and things up my sleeve that made it way easier. And also it was fun because as I got more active in the band was when like Nate and Damon got more excited about metal and like more <laughs> intricate kind of writing and stuff. And then I got introduced more to that and I got into it. And then and it was funny to see like how much of a cool parallel that was because I felt like having to get super into like double kick technique and everything. It just felt like learning another percussion instrument. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I know, I know how to do this, <laughs> you know? It sounds like what you're describing is that it wasn't so much like the actual like hand technique or the physicality of one instrument translating to the other, but rather sort of a mental model of like how to get good at something that you were applying to the drums. Yeah, exactly. So, and actually, and that's an interesting thing where that was one of the things that I gained was, you know, being able to have those extra tricks and stuff. But one of the things that I did have to unlearn from the classical side of things was just like the high, <laughs> there's so much like tension in the classical scene, you know, a lot of mm -hmm. like high expectations for oneself and um, not being able to be like loose enough to improvise, to, you know, mess around um, on, on the kit. And so, I had to work hard at just like letting go and having fun with stuff and getting more in touch with my creativity again, you know, cause I think I felt a little bit like not comfortable with a lot of those sides of myself for a while. And I still am working on it. It's not, still not this, the most comfortable thing, you know, it's like so, someone can just give me something that's already written out on the drum kit. That's like super elaborate and intense and fast and whatever. And I can, you know, I have a lot of, tricks to be able to do that well but then if someone just says like write something you know mm -hmm. on the spot that's going to be super sick like that's always going to be the part that, that I have to work on a little bit more and so kind of going back this is just like a, a question I've always wondered about classical percussionists is considering the wide range of different instruments that kind of fall under that umbrella category do you mm -hmm. think of yourself as like playing a single instrument or is it that you kind of have like different ways of approaching each of the various things that are asked asked of you for each of those instruments. Mm -hmm. I definitely think of a lot of it the same way now. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of it's in the same boat of just it's like I hit, I hit things and I make sounds. <laughs> I was talking to some students at University of Michigan because we're actually going to be doing a collaboration with them for the New Age compilation, which is 
That'd be really cool. And we were talking about just like making creative sound choices as a skill. And it's funny because we're talking about their compositions, but they're percussionists too. So I was commenting on their compositions and like their writing. I was like, oh, this is a great skill to, to work on. But then I was like, oh, that's actually also what you do as percussionists. It's like creative sound making, you know, you're trying to often find the best or most interesting sound for something and just make whatever instrument you have in front of you sound as good as you can make it, whether it's your own technique or the actual, you know, sound quality itself or whatever it is. So yeah, I think I've, I've just shifted from feeling way less specific about certain instruments and more just like, what are the general skills that tie this all together? You know, just basic like musician, musicianship. Uh, did you also compose music at any point during your collegiate and pre-college career or did that come later? Most of that came later. I was always interested when I was younger. I would write like a page of something, you know, and mm -hmm. I was kind of confused. I think, you know, I had a lot of different influences. I'd be like, oh, I want it to be an accordion thing, <laughs> but it, there's also a violin and da -da. maybe there's like electronics, you know, I was like trying to put all of my interests in one place and, and wasn't good at it. So mm -hmm. that was what I would mess around with in GarageBand or Logic or whatever in college. And then, and then the real like door opening moment for me um, for writing was after joining Infinity Shred because Nate and Damon already had an existing writing practice that they were in the middle of working on. I mean, Damon did prior to Nate, you know, so it's like Damon had his practice Nate came in and added his, you know, his touch to it. And then they had a thing when I joined. And so when we first worked on together uh, for the album Long Distance, a lot of it felt like me observing and then like adding in my sort of intuitive, like, oh, I think we should do this. Mm -hmm. And starting to work on like more ambient or orchestral textures and things like that. And that's how I learned Ableton was just through them. So I had this really nice long period of just gradually learning something in a really like low key environment. And they were just really supportive. And so between, let's see. So I think after long distance, but before the next album, Forever Fast Life, I put out my first like solo thing. And that was just like an ambient EP. And that was, that was, I think when I started to feel like, oh, I, I write music, you know? And mm. so whether that was just getting more active in band writing or my own stuff. It's mostly in the form of, of writing like ambient or electronic music, less so compositional, but I do feel like I have a lot of those skills from school. So I'm working on merging those worlds a little bit more too, because I think there's some interesting stuff that could be done in like, you know, classical composition, so to speak. Mm -hmm. How did you get interested in ambient music and that side of the musical world it's a i think it's a combination of things but it definitely started before the band so i i think i just i was into certain artists from a younger age i always liked like alluvium and and more the like post rocky explosions in the sky stuff that like bordered on ambient you know mm -hmm. um so i always just liked it and then funny enough like through classical music i feel like there's a lot of stuff in classical music that kind of is ambient music even though you wouldn't call it that you know like right um, a lot of just composers that are like alive today writing interesting music that's super like droney or just 
long, slow evolving pieces. And so I always was interested in, in that kind of music from a like playing standpoint. And yeah, so that kind of just came together. And then also just the general like art interest. I like going to like a sound art exhibit or something that sometimes ties in the, the appeal of ambient music for me, where it's just this like meditative, interesting space to be in. So all of that together, I guess, is what made the ambient stuff come out. And so when you mentioned like the things that you enjoyed playing, how frequently in your freelance work do you end up playing stuff that kind of fits nearer to your taste versus work for hire playing? Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting because that's it's like a kind of an existential question. <laughs> you know, like, like at times I'm like, how? What should that balance be? Am I doing it right? Like, you know, am I selling out? Am I not getting enough? You know, but I feel pretty lucky in that it feels like every year I'm doing more of the kind of stuff that I want to be doing, which is just a fine line because a lot of the time doing more of what you want to be doing means like getting paid less. <laughs> So, so I've gotten, I've, I mean, I, I do, I still am like a hustler, you know, like I'm, I'm, I have a creative side, but I do enjoy the act of like being a musician for hire. Like a lot of the time I really like it, even if I don't love the music, mm -hmm. I do like, like the job of it. So, so that, that's, that's cool. But, but I would, in my ideal world, it's like, I'm a musician for hire and I love every piece I play, which is, you know, a tall, tall order. So yeah, in recent years, I mean, I've got to work with some composers, like this great composer, Missy Mazzoli, who's doing really cool, like kind of multi-genre compositions, you know, it feels like it stretches way beyond classical. Ted Hearn, who's also stretching in really cool ways. Um, and yeah, just working with like a few groups that attract composers like that. And that's some of the most satisfying work for sure. You said that you kind of avoid doing the larger orchestra stuff and you're more focused on like smaller percussion ensembles from what I can tell. What makes you choose that path versus the, the bigger orchestral stuff? Well, yeah, I'd say a lot of what I do, it's like, I guess what you call chamber music. So it's just like any, you know, group of musicians, but usually a smaller group. Mm -hmm. I do still really love playing in an orchestra. It's just that the way it works, at least in this country, it tends to be that the opportunities to play in big orchestras are tied to permanent positions. So, you know, there's like a wild, really intense audition process to get like one coveted position. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, professional sports or something. It's like you wait for someone to die or retire. And then like that one spot opens up in the St. Louis Symphony and everyone's like, you know, competing and grappling away for it. And that whole like scene just threw me off. You know, I felt like that's, it felt like a waste of time for me because it, it's really hard to get those jobs. And, and you have great, fantastic musicians that are all equally, you know, good enough to get those jobs, but they're just running around taking these auditions. And, and I just immediately felt like, oh, that's a waste of time. I'm gonna waste like three or four years of my life doing that to end up in some orchestra that I might love, but also I might hate. Like you hear that all the time. People who just get like really sick of the people they're playing with or the city <laughs> that they live in, and then they're stuck there, you know? So, right. There's no, no free agency to uh, carry your sports analogy over. Like you can't request a trade, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. You like pick the, the lifestyle, you know? So, so it's, it's kind of just like an unfortunate 
fact. Otherwise, I'd be playing in orchestras all the time. Like, I love playing in a big orchestra, especially if it's like a more contemporary composition, you know, like something really interesting. But um, yeah, and, and there's other ways, like there are orchestras you can play in as a freelancer, you know, sometimes like these summer things that are more like, you know, if you have like an orchestra playing to a live film or like those sort of things often are a freelance kind of pickup thing and that stuff is fun. But yeah. And also the cool thing about the chamber stuff is that a lot of the time you get a lot more um, collaboration and, and space to be creative because you're a smaller group of people. So if you are a group of seven musicians working on a new piece with like the composer in the room, that's it's like a pretty satisfying space to be in. So mm-hmm. that's just kind of how that happened. Yeah, that my my perspective on that is always that like that feels closer to the rock band experience than yeah. you know playing for a football team sized orchestra yeah. uh, where the the composition is kind of already just like put in front of you and you get yeah. like a lot less agency. Exactly. You, you kind of have brought up multiple times the sort of like competitive aspect to the classical world. Like, do you? I feel like the outsider perspective may have this kind of like whiplash view of things. Like, is that like, I mean like the movie? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, you probably sense my, like my trauma from the classic <laughs> world. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I don't know. Did you see the sound of metal? I haven't yet. I really want to though. Check it out. Cause I feel like, Whiplash versus Sound of Metal. Not that there's any comparison, but they're two movies that feature a drummer. And I've had such negative feelings about Whiplash <laughs> and such <laughs> positive feelings. Like Sound of Metal was the first time I saw a movie about a drummer that I loved. Yeah, no, I guess the Whiplash thing, it's like, okay, the movie itself, if, you know, for those who haven't seen it, it's just like a slightly over dramatized version of just like a conservatory training. It's like, I'm bleeding while playing drums because I have to practice so hard. Right. <laughs> and like, the only oh, way I can get better is by playing as fast as possible all the time, right, which right. is totally like, how it works. <laughs> that's a sign of success. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but there's parts of it that are true. I mean, that's what's frustrating about watching it from my perspective. So I'm like, yeah, some of this is on point. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, the relationship of like teacher and student is very, it's like very intense and it's, it's like you can love a teacher, but it's, it's not like in a normal academic environment where you have like multiple teachers and they all have multiple students. And it's, you know, it's a very like one-on-one intense thing where they sometimes have like certain hopes and dreams for how like their studio is going to end up. It's like everyone here graduates and ends up at the New York Philharmonic. And, you know, if you don't, then you're a loser. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. Like I had great teachers, but but it, there can be that sort of toxic environment. If it's not between teachers and students, it can be between students and students. And it's hard to, yeah. I didn't really feel like it was a very like creative, uh, heartwarming zone. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I can I can get that. The the one thing I agree that like that movie is super frustrating, mostly because it has this like very sports ball mentality about like okay. how to get good at playing drums, which is just very frustrating like you don't hear a metronome once you know in that yeah, movie. True. oh yeah it's like very much like a sports movie the, the one thing that i did feel was kind of accurate is the the relationship between the different drummers and like the competing for limited spots and that yeah that's that i feel like is also it still exists in other music scenes as well like you see bands all the time kind of sniping at each other and you know trying to 
weasel their way into opening slots for tours and whatnot. Um, but yeah. I'm curious about like what your, and obviously you're not like a total outsider coming to rock music considering, you know, it's, it's around um, yeah. and you have the family connection as well. But like, was there any degree of like culture shock going from the classical world into the metal and hard rock world that infinity shred has took you into yeah in like the most gratifying way though <laughs> like i'm really grateful <laughs> i feel like very few people get to have that kind of like intense transition <laughs> between mm -hmm. you know musical worlds and i feel really grateful that i i get to sort of camouflage my way into a few different scenes yeah i mean there are things that are better and worse about each of you know each of those scenes going back and forth so in some way is really liberating to not be attached to like the systems already happening in the like hard rock and metal scene like i just didn't care going into it <laughs> i was mm -hmm. like i don't care i'm making a living in this other scene <laughs> like i'm here for fun so i'm not going to play by these rules and like that was very liberating you know to be like if someone's intimidating like that's their loss because they're <laughs> just being an asshole and you know what i mean like that but whereas in the world that I was more like dedicated to earlier on that kind of thing like would destroy me you know because mm -hmm. I really wanted to make it and so I guess just having been through it once I was like I'm not going to do it again <laughs> you know whether other people are already doing it so so yeah it's been satisfying in many ways I'm trying to think if there's been any like huge roadblocks I mean I guess it's weird to be like a woman in that scene too it's sure. not like a it's not like a big, big deal. And pretty much most people I know have not really made a thing of it. But even if people are like super nice, a lot of the time it's also that where it's like, oh, a girl drummer, whoa, <laughs> you know? So it's like often a thing, whether it's good or bad, but that scene can be like super bro-y, which I'm used to also from the percussion world. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of been like a good and bad. In some ways I'm like often happy to just, be involved because like I am a tomboy and like I I like a lot of the same stuff as like my bros <laughs> but at the same time once it gets into the like toxic masculinity kind of zone or if like people aren't used to having a girl in a green room or whatever and it's like weird you know then that is annoying and is stupid but I think that a lot of people are starting to get out of that that phase <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah it's I feel like it also kind of is like which scene in heavy metal you're in can pretty drastically change like how chill people are about that kind of stuff yeah um like i would not envy your position if you were playing in like a black metal band or something like yeah. that <laughs> like, that would not be <laughs> not be fun but i'll say that i i've always like i don't know i always like have had respect and like the idea of of like pushing those boundaries too sure. you know like there's yeah. a part of me that is is like I might be mad about a certain like situation, maybe a little like microaggression here or there or whatever, but I'm also happy that I'm in my position. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm glad that I'm here messing up your whole like notion of who belongs here and stuff, mm -hmm. you know? So, so in some ways it's, and, and I think part of why I'm, I'm down for that is because as I said, like I've been through it all in the classical world. And so I don't like really care anymore <laughs> in this other scene. Totally. Yeah. Um, when it comes to like learning the techniques and learning the, like the idioms of heavy metal, like what were the biggest 
hurdles that you had to cross over. Like I imagine like blast beats are not necessarily complicated on a conceptual level, but getting up the speed and coordination would probably be what, the first thing that would come to mind for me. But I'm, I'm curious to hear about it from your perspective. Yeah. I mean, it kind of ties into what we were saying earlier, which was that I kind of like surprised myself by feeling more comfortable with a lot of it than I thought I would, you know, because on one hand, it seemed like this really distant thing where I'm like, oh, I have no background in this. I haven't been like playing in this style for, you know, 10, 20 years, you know, like a lot of folks. But then at the same time, it felt like the exact same approach that I had to put into learning like a new piece of music. I was just like, mm -hmm. oh, it's, I can dissect this into like, it's going to take me two weeks to get this up to speed. And I'm going to, these are my markers and like, you know, having like a whole process to just realistically get to the goals that I want. So it was very like sterile <laughs> in some ways. But then the cool thing is then like the shows themselves, or I guess also recording sessions, but definitely shows was where whatever that whole like sterile practice <laughs> zone is like comes to life for better and for worse. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I experienced like, like, I don't know, a lot of things with live performance, you know, thinking that I totally have something and then it's a show and I don't, <laughs> you know, like I've experienced that and, and, and just like learning to anticipate that stuff and know that. And then the other thing, this sounds like really stupid and basic, but it's still something I'm working on is that, I think because of the classical background, a lot of my playing is very like ergonomic and like small and, you know, it's like efficient, but, mm -hmm. uh, but like often not fun to watch. I think for the same reason I've had people be like, you look like you're, you're like so bored. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I've kind of had to work at just like getting more into it, you know, which even though that sounds like theater like it's not because I realize that actually is symbolic for like shit I'm working through which is that I do need to have more fun or be more intense or whatever it is and and that's stuff that um it's just like yeah I've had to learn you know every show working on your stick flips and twirling yeah. And whatnot. <laughs> yeah jumping on the stool <laughs> back flipping off the drum kit <laughs> yeah all that oh that's that's interesting like I think that the one crossover I've noticed is like the super duper fast tech death yeah. drummers, I think have a very similar approach where it's just like, if I move my shoulder, like this isn't going to work. Yeah. So it's got to be all fingers and wrists or like this, these parts are just not going to happen, you know? Yeah. And so I think that for some people, it's funny how like the like precision and maybe the idea of uh, sterility or being bored on stage would actually be part of the appeal because it means that you're taking it super seriously. Right. Um, but then of course there's, you're right. There's the other side of it, which is that like, it is the entertainment industry and you want people to know that you're having a good time. You totally. know? And also it's, yeah, like I said, it kind of started from a more like surface level thing, but then it became really deep, you know, where I felt like performances felt very different whether I was getting really into it or not. And that how accurately you play one set really never equates how good a show it is. <laughs> it's so many other things. It's like your headspace and how into it you are and how the, you know, the fans are, whatever. It's like all these different, your other, your bandmates, like, there's so many other things out of your control that make it a good show. And so it's, it's like you, you might as well have as much fun as you can in it or, or not even fun, but just like, for me is almost always just cathartic. Like just felt mm -hmm. like a really nice release of 
stuff that I hadn't had in any of my like classical or other scenes. So it's cool. So shifting gears to a new age for new age, when did that come about? How did you start thinking about that idea? Um, I remember thinking mostly like most seriously about it for the first time when I was working in Omaha a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of years ago. And I was, I had a lot of free time. <laughs> I was there for a month doing this thing with the Opera Omaha. Very cool. It was an awesome job, but I just ended up having all this free time. And I don't know if you've been to Omaha, but it's like a kind of... Been there maybe? once on tour. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit of a flat city. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually really cool, I've discovered, because I've spent more time there since. But, but at the time, I was kind of just like going to a bar alone, <laughs> like passing the, the late afternoon and the, you know, sort of like wandering around. So anyways, I remember being at a bar and kind of writing down ideas and thinking about, actually I was with a friend who I was working with and we were kind of laughing about all the people we knew who we would be interested in hearing interpret new age music. Like, oh, what if this composer wrote a new age track or what if this, you know, electronic musician wrote something and kind of just like half joking about it because it's just funny to imagine certain people writing new age music who never would otherwise. But then also realizing that it was also an exciting idea. I mean, like, oh, what would they make? Like, maybe someday do something incredible. And yeah, I guess I just immediately loved the weird ambiguity of this project, you know, because the prompt is just inviting artists of like any genre to write their interpretation of what they think new age music is or what they want it to be or kind of like break it, you know, don't... <laughs> Uh, reimagine it and stuff so yeah and then we came out with the first volume of the compilation about like six months later and I'm saying we but it was just me it's a lot of work <laughs> and uh yeah now we're looking at our third and fourth volumes coming up next month and so was new age music something that you were interested in prior to this conversation like how what, what's your relationship to to new age music prior to the comps um, it's a combination of things. I think part of it on an aesthetic level, it comes from the same place of like liking ambient music or sound art installation or, you know, experimental music, just being curious to see like what sounds people would make. Um, mm -hmm. So that's just the base level music thing. And also just realizing that there's so much in common with if you start with new age music that's such a big thing, you know, like it, it incorporates so much so much terrible music, so like a lot of actually good music, like a lot of confusing music. <laughs> and, it, and it branches out to all these other genres, like ambient music or music from different countries and you know, spoken word and whatever. Like there's a lot of places it can go. So yeah, so I, I was always, I guess, interested in that um, overlap of different concepts and genres. And then I guess as to the sort of spiritual like new agey aspect of it I don't know I grew up not religious and I was always interested in religions and spirituality but from this very like uh, agnostic space you know so I think I approach a lot of things like that from that comical observational standpoint where I just feel like what is new age <laughs> you know like there's so much going on there and it's like a lot of it's terrible and some of it's cool you know and so, um, so I think it kind of came from that place of, of being equally um, inspired, confused, <laughs> and angered by this thing that's really vague, you know? Right. It, it, to me, like, 
I feel like the term new age is so broad as to almost be meaningless to some yeah. extent. Uh, like I, I feel like it's thrown at almost every type of music that doesn't have vocals at some point or another, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like vaguely relaxing. <laughs> right. I remember one time I was listening to Godspeed You Black Emperor in high school and my mom came into the room and was like, why are you listening to new age music? <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> so well, how would you describe what the old age of new age was prior to the comps? Like, loaded question, but... Yeah, um, I, I, I want to be careful because I don't necessarily feel like I'm a specialist. But I think it's something that's... Like, a lot of what came out in New Age music traditionally, whether, you know, we're talking about, like, 60s, 70s stuff, 80s, 90s, like, it's had a few different, you know, periods and phases and scenes. I think like a lot of the time what's interesting is that it's often coming from a good place, you know, someone being like, I'm going to make a, a, a thing for relaxing at the spa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like comes from this place of often, you know, wanting like healing or introspection or cosmic <laughs> exploration. You know, it's like it, it, it comes from usually a, a good and sometimes even really fascinating space. But in the meantime, it's gone to so many destinations. <laughs> it's like, on one hand, you have super commercialized stuff. You know, you have the like, the the Enyas, and which actually, I mean, I love Enya to full disclosure. <laughs> but um, you know, you have these like huge successes um, in new age music. Then you have the more low key successes, like people who just you know, often like older white guys who like recreate vaguely Indian music and like sell it and make so much money off of it. Like right. this kind of like grody appropriative part of it. That's just like a business for like the, you know, the business of healing stuff. <laughs> but then, and then in many ways it's like helped a lot of people and it's great. And people have these like new age albums and cassettes and whatever that have helped people in, in other ways. So it's, yeah, once again, it's confusing, but that's my sort of take on the old school of new age. Right. Yeah, I, I guess like it, it falls like very close to the category of world music in my head as these sort of like catch-alls that are incorporating a bunch of things that are coming from a lot of different contexts and don't necessarily have a ton to do with each other. Like mm -hmm. when I think about, I feel like there's this kind of like bubbling resurgent interest in like 70s and like early synth music, yeah. which I think often feels like new age, but doesn't come with like the sort of package, like the woo packaging of, you know, music that gets played in stores that sell crystals. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're not, they don't necessarily intersect. Right. Um, and then you're right. There's also this kind of like appropriative, like boomer taking on of like faux Eastern aesthetics which were novel at the time, I guess, to a certain group of people that suddenly had a ton of money in the eighties that, you know, yeah. would, would buy all that stuff up. Yeah. It's, um, I, I uh, what was I just thinking about the, the world music thing? Um, kind of like, you know how I feel like these days, even with something like world music, like growing up, I, I would say, I love the genre world music, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that all that meant is that I was curious about music from around the world. But now I've learned that that's like really not chill you know it's like I've, I've learned to understand the intricacies of like oh i like music from different places around the world and that's right it in itself and then within that it's like you can't really say i like senegalese music it's like senegalese music from when from where like it's really deep you know 
Totally, so it's yeah. the same thing here where I think no one really wants to, like a lot of people don't want to say like the term new age anymore, honestly, because it's the same thing with the world music where it's like, what do you mean? And there's this like negative connotation. But if you do get into it, you realize that there's like a really rich collection of things there. Like you said, you can take almost any angle of, of like relaxing music or heady music or whatever and tie it in some way to to the genre of new age you know so it's it's just like super rich and confusing <laughs> so when you started pulling together the artists for the first compilation like what what were you looking for and who were you reaching out to well from the get-go and and still to this day i i love for it to be really really open i never wanted to like select artists you know, like, like handpick, um, mm -hmm. I would have open submissions. Sometimes I do, like, I think in future volumes, I, I will want to reach out to certain people who I'm just really curious, like what they would do. Like if Grimes would do one, no, I'm kidding. But there's like, there's, you know, like a fairy song. I don't know. No, there's like, just to say that there's, you know, there are people who I'd be interested in having on it. But um, for now, it's just the open submission models really worked. Like, people I think find the concepts interesting you know they find it like I've been saying sort of inspiring and confusing <laughs> and um, either sometimes I get a message from someone being like I actually have a folder on my computer called like new age stuff that I never <laughs> share with anyone <laughs> it's like things that they're kind of embarrassed embarrassed of but they like to make anyway you know or people taking the prompt for the first time, you know, just saying like, I've never thought of this and I'm gonna write something new for this. And then, and then some people who really do like the concept of just breaking it, you know, being like, I'm gonna do something wild or I'm gonna take like an existing song of mine and just say that it's new age, cause why not? <laughs> right, sure, yeah. And have the submissions generally come from people that you know? Have you gotten strangers sending stuff in? These last two volumes that we're going to put out next month, um, it's a much wider group, which is cool. At first, it was more like people I knew. And then the second volume was a little bit wider. There's a couple of people in there that I didn't know, or maybe there was like a second degree connection. Um, and then this one, it's, it's a wide range. Um, I've been actually like Zooming with some of the ones that I haven't met in person. And some people were like tagged in a post, you know, just mm -hmm. like, Oh, you should submit to this. Um, some people, there is like a second degree connection, um, but it's cool. It's not all musicians. There's like a sculptor <laughs> who dabbles in like synth stuff. There's like people who mostly do like folk or like indie folk or whatever. There's people who are just like active electronic musicians, you know, that I know from like personally. Um, so yeah, it's a really cool range. And I hope that it gets even wider because I think that's, the bread and butter of this project is just getting like weird, you know, weird eclectic takes on new age. Have you had to reject a submission yet? Um, I've up till now I've, I've basically postponed submissions. Like I say, this is awesome. Thanks for sending. I, you know, I'm putting this back in a pool of things to select from in the future. But I do think eventually I'll have to reject some things. And then also I have a little bit of a hard time taking submissions from people who seem to not really get the prompts, if that makes sense. What would that like sound like? Or is this like people submitting more traditionally new age stuff or not taking the prompts seriously? What, what does that 
generally look like? Yeah, I think basically just if it gets too much to like traditional new agey stuff, you know, if someone would ever like go too hard in like reusing some of the appropriative stuff, you know, if I'd get like a submission from some white dude that's like full of sitar or whatever, and I and I, I don't know, it just like feels like the wrong vibe, you know, mm-hmm. to put out. It's like it's not we're not really trying to recreate it we're trying to do something new right so so yeah i feel like there's a few exceptions of things that i wouldn't be as down for and then just in general like yeah if someone is i don't know how to explain it it's a very hard thing to explain but basically like if someone takes it too seriously you know what i mean if someone like i don't know i sound very exclusionary saying this but if someone is full-on like crystals <laughs> new agey like i bought all this like stuff for my healing journey and you know whatever like i i don't know it's harder for me to to stand by that because that's not necessarily the the thing that i'm trying to encourage there's plenty of that in the real world you know what i mean like the new age thing already existed and i guess exists still so mm-hmm. this thing is like an art project you know <laughs> right how has the response been to it? Have you mostly have like the traditional new age listeners found the project and interacted with it at all? Or do you feel like it's mostly kind of more the art project audience that you are kind of cultivating from to begin with? Yeah. I mean, it's mostly that for now. It'll be interesting to see if it does get more in touch with people who actually want the, you know, the new agey crowd and, I think one of the ways that I might try to do a bit of overlap that could be fun is to get in touch with some like local stores that, you know, maybe a place that sells like cool modern products and like some like beauty things and some vaguely like, you know, sort of I don't, not like new agey, but just something that sort of dabbles with that or a more straight up like art, art space um, who might be interested in carrying the CD and seeing if there's like, interesting overlap with people who are seeking what new age gives Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they like buy the record and find that maybe it gives them that you know and it's just not what it's not the traditional thing that they'd be used to but maybe it would give them what they'd be seeking out of the new age album so but that'll be definitely interesting to see what happens if the more traditional like new age crowd does start to interact with this compilation either i am very bad at searching for things on Spotify or these compilations are not on Spotify. Is that right? Or. Okay. They actually are. And it's a really unfortunate thing that I don't know how to resolve. They, it's just when you, unless you search it in quotations, huh. it doesn't find it. I think because it's just taking the keywords, like maybe it thinks that you repeated and whatever, and it just searches for new age, which gives, you know, the whole world of new age. So yeah, I don't, if you have any brilliant ideas for how to resolve that, I don't, I don't yet. But if you put it in quotations, it'll, you know, they, they are up there on most streaming platforms. Given that there's all this kind of talk about like chillness and music and like Spotify and streaming services generally turning music into like this sort of algorithmically generated playlists that are sort of slide into the background. That seems like the kind of thing that this type of compilation would slot into pretty easily. How do you feel about that general discourse? Where do you think that this tape falls into it? Is that a problem for you? Isn't it? Generally, I don't mind. Like, I feel like that's why I started the compilation in the first place is that I'm pretty comfortable with these weird rubs, you know, mm-hmm. like these weird places where it's something is, is vague. Like I, 
I prefer to be in that space and have conversation about it than to like finally categorize the whole world. So, so that would be, I don't care if like this would end up on some peaceful, well, okay, wait, <laughs> See, I'm having a conversation about it. If it would end up on some playlist that I feel is really dumb, <laughs> it's like, like really not the right place for it. And I don't want to associate with it. Like I'll, you know, I wouldn't want that. So mm -hmm. there's, you know, I try to be active in that process, but, um, but yeah, but the funny thing also, I will say about the whole open submissions, like open creative guidelines thing is that not all songs on the compilation are like relaxing, you know, like, especially the, this upcoming one, I think we opened up even more. There's some intense songs actually. So I kind of like that aspect of it too, which is that you might have like a six tracks in a row that sort of put you to sleep and then you're going to have one that's just like insane. <laughs> and that's just what happens. You know what I mean? Like that's right. what I'm open to with this. So I, I've been thinking about how there's been this kind of rising interest among millennials in, you know, astrology and alternative medicine and that sort of thing. And it feels like what you're tapping into about trying to like redefine new, new age is not necessarily the same because you're a musician and not, you know, these are all sort of separate subjects, but it seems like there's some sort of thing turning in culture around the same time. How do you feel about that sort of broader shift or do you feel like it's something that is part of what's going on with your resurgent interest in, in new age? Yeah, actually it is. I mean, there was, I'm totally blanking on names right now, but there was both a podcast and a show in the last couple of years, dif different, non-affiliated, but both of them were like investigative journalism, I guess, about like the industry of wellness mm -hmm. and in both cases, they were neither critiquing nor commending things. They were just looking at something like, you know, let's say essential oils <laughs> and saying, what is going on here? Like, what are the companies? What can they do? What can they not do? What are people getting out of this? Like, just looking at it, you know, investigatively and, and not really taking either stance of just like, ah, oh, the hippies with their new age stuff, you know, nor the stance of just like, oh, this oil is definitely going to cure cancer, you know, which is like something that can happen once you get into that really like spiritual kind of new agey wellness scene. And so I think that I just really appreciate when conversations do happen around uncomfortable topics like that. Mm -hmm. uh, because you have to like I have essential oils they're great <laughs> I don't necessarily think they're gonna like change my life you know but I do think they do something and maybe they even do some things I can't really explain you know because we don't fully understand the human body and mind and the world and whatever so like I can I can live with that ambiguity and I think we all should so I think that yeah in a way the compilation is trying to explore that just saying that like yeah there maybe you do want to like take shrooms and listen to one of the tracks on the compilation and have this like mystical life-changing experience. And that's great. And maybe you don't, and you want to just think of it as like art music. And that's cool too. Like it's, I don't know, just kind of appreciating um, the, the good and the bad <laughs> equally and, and being both critical and respectful uh, at the same time. Mm -hmm. So now you've got these two compilations, volume three and four coming out um, in April. And is the fact that they're both coming out at once just a matter of submission size? Why, why group them as two separate things? 
if like it seems like you could just drop it all as like one giant album but they're split <laughs> yeah. in two yeah uh part of it was at first just practical like i got a lot of submissions and i felt like i didn't want to turn anything down i was like let's just do it all but it's it was too much for one album i think it's uh 24 tracks total mm-hmm. so it would have been a long album um and a lot of these tracks are you know up to 10 minutes long but as I was in that process, I did start to feel excited about the concept of a, um, a dichotomy with like these two things. And so I started organizing the songs based off of certain vibes. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to make a playlist where I put all of the really like electronic synthy spacey ones. And that'll be one. And then I'm gonna make a playlist. That's just like all the very naturey, like nature sounds, acoustic kind of stuff, you know, in another. And, so I started organizing the tracks in a certain way that I found interesting. Um, and that's what made me feel like, okay, I want to do a double release and have them be like a companion to each other. And then the other thing was just from a level of design, because the awesome designers who I'm working with, Alex Tatujan and Sharanya Durvasula, they they like made the artwork for, for our series and we're making a, a double CD box like mm. back in the 90s with the insert tray. And it's just going to be this thing that you can you can open either side, and it like looks the same but a different color scheme on either side. And I think we just got excited by that idea of being able to have this like fun object that's a double a double thing. And and it's not overt. Like I didn't I don't have a theme for each of them, but I think through the listening process, you'll hear that the third one <clears throat> tends to have this more like uplifting kind of quality to it. And the fourth one, I think, is a little bit darker and spacier and weird. So, <laughs> What's the plan for the compilation going forward after these two? Well, like I mentioned, we're um, working with a friend of mine who's uh, a, I believe, a doctoral student at University of Michigan who's teaching a really cool class to the percussion students there. And he decided to do a whole segment on his class on the New Age for New Age <laughs> compilation, which is cool. I, I feel wow. like it's interesting to, yeah, to bring that to not only to students, but to like classical percussion students, you know, and their assignment was to write a track each for it. And, and that we were going to end up doing a special sort of release just for these. So the next one after that's going to be for that project. So mm-hmm. that'll be the fifth volume. And that's fun because it's a total different approach. Like they're really heady and and cool and like a lot of it involves a lot of percussion and it's um it's cool i'm i'm glad that we got to collaborate on that and after that it's ongoing submissions you know so we'll see where it goes i have decided that i want to take a sabbatical after 10 (laughs) because when you have an ongoing series it's like when do you stop you know if if we do the fifth one this year as well which we're looking at doing and that will have been five in two years, which is like a lot. <laughs> and so, you know what I mean? It's like another five, another two years, and then I'll take a little break and see where it goes. So that's my goal. That's my hope for it. <laughs> is there anything that you would want from future submissions that hasn't been included on the previous submissions or a particular direction that you'd like to see people take the prompt into that hasn't been explored yet? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely down for it to get weirder and weirder. You know, if by the end of it, it's just the wildest, most conceptual thing ever, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. And and it also doesn't have to do that. But um, like, I'm just waiting for the day that I have like a total 
just like black metal insane like Enya cover or something (laughs) you know um so for all you out there who've always wanted to cover Enya with your black metal band (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah so that's my main hope for it and then other than that I'm I'm kind of also interested to see if it takes on a form beyond just the the release you know like if we end up wanting to do some shows or or even just like discussions you know like I've been thinking about doing some sort of zoom talks with people to talk about some of these weirder ambiguous things like we've been doing so far so so yeah those are my general things that I'd like to see with it Awesome. Well, that uh, pretty much wraps it up on my end. Thank you so much for having the conversation with me today. This was great. Nice. Thanks for having me. It's really cool to hash this all out. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you again for listening. And thank you, Clara, for joining me. You can find A New Age for New Age on Bandcamp at anewageforneuage.bandcamp.com. If you liked this episode, please leave a rating and review, or tell a friend about it. If you want to get in contact with me, you can email me at laminiformsband at gmail.com. Until next time.